Welcome to the UP Tech Talk podcast, coming to you from the new academic multimedia studio on the University of Portland campus, produced by Academic Technology Services, with your hosts, Maria Erb and Sam Williams. Welcome to the UP Tech Talk podcast. Today we have with us Dr. Tammy Vandergrift and Nikki Schultz with the Shiley School of Engineering. Um, thank you for coming today. Thank you for having us. Yeah. It's so nice to have both of you here today. Thanks for coming over. And we wanted to invite you here today because we were so impressed with that presentation that you gave recently on the Flip Classroom and some of the practices that, that you've been employing over the past year or so. And I'd like each of you to tell us a little bit about what you've been doing and the benefits that you found for yourself and your students. I'll use a Flip Classroom in um, a couple of my engineering classes, Statics and Dynamics. Um, so the way that works is I record short videos, maybe 10 minutes. It doesn't take too long to do. I just do that on my um, iPad or touchscreen laptop. Ask the students to watch the video before uh, lecture, and then that opens up time in class to really focus on how to implement the, the topic, how to work through problems that use whatever theory it is that might have been introduced in the video. And, uh, yeah, it opens up time for, for active learning and a, a more engaged classroom. With that active learning, is it, um, like, what, are, what is an example of, like, something that you would do in the classroom um, that you couldn't do before? Well, a simple thing that I do to, to, to make a, a standard uh, lecture more of an, an act, turn it into an active learning exercise is, let's say, I had a, an example that I would have worked for the students, and the students watch as I do the example. I turn that into a scaffolded problem, so they have a handout, it has the basic setup, and there's prompts to help them keep them on track, I'm going sideways in the problem solving, and I let them work through it in groups. So I generally have them then get into groups of two to four students. Uh, three is optimal, but two to four is what works out in a, in a room, and then... Um, they work through it together. I wander around as, they, as they're working, and I, I listen mainly. And if I hear that they're, they're struggling or maybe going a little sideways, I prompt them back in the right direction. If they're, they have questions, then I answer them. Um, but I, let the, I, let, I really let them see because the discussions they have are, are really enlightening for me about what sorts of concepts they might misunderstand that I didn't realize they misunderstood what terms they may not know as well as I thought they knew. And so um, they're working actively engaged in the, in the problem, and then they remember it because, if, honestly, if I work that problem for them, half of them are asleep. Right. So. Have you found that they've done better on their tests since you've been showing the videos? I, I don't know that I can say that. Uh, I, I haven't looked at the numbers. Um, and just... I. What I see is a when, when they talk about the concepts in the classroom, the questions that they ask are deeper questions. They're, they show a broader understanding of the material. Um, I have more students that ask questions in class, more students that interact with me. Uh, I don't know for sure that that, that actually turns into to gains, but... What I, I can say anecdotally is my students understand the material better in, in discussion. Nice. And Tammy, how about for yourself? 
I, I run my theory of computation course very similarly to Nikki. So I'll record short, less than 10 minute, uh, mostly just worked examples for them to view before class, which I would have done in class before, but that would have taken the 10 minutes, probably more like 20 minutes in class because you get interrupted. And then I wouldn't have time for my active learning stuff. Um, so now that the students can see an introductory example before they come to class, then I can just ask them, do you have any questions? And then we can get to work and have them work the examples. Because having them do it, like Nikki said, is so much more effective than watching me do it. And they run into pitfalls, which is great, because it's a wonderful opportunity to talk about um, kind of the nuances. Like, can you prove something that way? Well, maybe not, because um, you can't really make that assumption right now. And so it's really been a great jumping board for discussion in class. Um, and I have also found that when they're working the problems, I do them in groups, you know, again, hopefully groups of three, but sometimes two people are working together. I, I'll take the time during class while they're working and go around, and I don't necessarily look at what they're doing. I'll glance at their papers, but I mostly use that time as an opportunity for them to ask me one-on-one -on -one questions. And I'll just say, hey, do push-down automaton make sense for you? Is there anything that is confusing for you? And they'll, also, they'll usually ask me little questions that they probably weren't comfortable asking in front of the large group because it just might be, I don't understand that notation. Can you explain what that means? And I go, oh, sure, and we can go through it. So it means that I still get traffic and office hours from students who are working on their homework, but I feel like they have a much better understanding of the how to solve the problems when they leave class, when they go to work on their homework. Now I think they have a little bit more confidence. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, I still see students, but I, my, even though my class size has increased, my office hour traffic has probably decreased. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. And so you, it looks like you standardized on a 10-minute-ish frame. Is there a reason for that 10 minutes? I'm just kind of curious. Well, for me, it was because the software I'm using, the free version allows you to record 10 minutes <laughs> at a time. And it, it, it was kind of like a serendipitous, you know, nice surprise because I do think that's about the length a student can handle chunked at a time. Um, mm -hmm. And if I need to present something that's longer, I'll just make um, several videos to cover the same topic. Um, that way they're not having to, like, navigate to remember, like, was that, you know, 26 minutes into the video that I need to look at that? Yeah. Um, I just don't think they have that attention span. It's kind of right. like the culture of television, right? Yeah. Every 10 minutes there's a commercial break. So I think they need that yeah. same commercial yeah. break when uh -huh. they're watching videos for class. And have you gotten feedback from your students? I have done just informal, like, um, end-of-class, you know, course evaluation data and also midterm assessment data and the students when I poll them about do you like the group work do you like the in-class work they all say yes this is the thing that's helping me learn so. yeah I did, I did the same I get I get it on my student evaluations comments about how helpful the videos are that they like working on problems in class and then I also just randomly have students as I'm walking around working on in-class activities like I really like doing it this way thank you for doing it this way and so it's so nothing but thumbs up everywhere? Well, I think you're always going to have some students who prefer the sit down and listen to the expert type of learning. Um, and some students 
don't want to work with other people, so getting them engaged can be tricky. Um, for those, I'll just let them work by themselves if it's too much of a... You know, for me, I want them to learn how to do the problems. So if they would much rather learn how to do the problems by themselves, I'm okay with that in that course. Yeah, I have 86 students across three sections of statics this term, and I have one student that likes to work on his own and has really resisted working in groups despite encouragement. And that's okay. That's okay. But it's one out of 86. It's not a, it's not a major mm-hmm. portion of the class. Yeah. So now how long have you been using this model? Is this something fairly new, a couple of years? Like, I'm just curious kind of where you are in that, um, in that life cycle. Um, I, think, I think this is my second year using the videos. I've always tried to use active learning ever since I started teaching because I think that's an important piece to the learning process. But I always kind of ran out of time with it. I'd have all these sheets prepared. And then by the time I got through the demonstration and doing a couple more examples, I would run out of time. So I just hand them the sheets of paper at the end of class and say, hey, here's an opportunity to practice. I, I'm guessing zero people <laughs> actually worked on those sheets um, in the formal model. But now I have more time. So there are still people who probably never watched the videos. And I'm actually okay with that. If they, I, I tell them you need to watch these videos or you can read the textbook. Some students can read the textbook and figure it out. That's fantastic. So I'm not a big stickler on the videos. I just have it there so that we can move quickly, more quickly into the active learning. Yeah, I'd say it's the same. Um, for me, it was, it's been a, a, a process of going from, to a flipped classroom. I think I started working with videos um, nine years ago when I was at Oregon State, and I would record uh, short videos for um, courses that were software-based, working with um, AutoCAD, which is an engineering drafting software, working with um, Microsoft Excel, working with a, a MATLAB programming language. And so I'd they they would have something that showed them where on the screen they could click and remind them as I'm going through a demonstration where there's multiple steps and multiple commands, they had a reference outside of classroom. And so it wasn't a flip classroom. It was just supplemental videos, and videos totally made sense for that sort of thing. And then I started going to assigning the videos to be watched before class, and then I'd say the first... Um, the first flip classroom that for not for something that wasn't a software based classroom was statics and I started that uh, three years ago and I'd say the same thing I I I don't know that 100 percent of my students watch the videos I suspect it's not anywhere near that I, I could I could look at the video the data you can see how many people have have watched your video um, but I'm not too concerned about that. I asked them to read their textbook before class for the last 17 years, and I, <laughs> I expect fewer students did the pre-reading that they were asked to do um, than watch the videos. So I'm so, okay. So up to this point, you would have this um, assumption that basically nobody covered the material, so you'd covered in class. I mean, mm-hmm. I hate yes. to say it like that, oh, but... Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what are some other gains that you have seen from the flipped classroom? I mean, this sounds like office hours. Um, I don't reduction. Know if reduction is in both your cases is, is there. Um, 
students are getting more involved in the classroom. Is there anything else um, that you have found from flipping the classroom? Well, I think what Nikki had mentioned, when students talk to each other, they use different language than I use, right? I've been trained out of the informal into the formal, and so um, they can often explain things much more, you know, in a different way so that their peers can understand what's going on. Um, and at least in computer science, there's an infinite number of ways that you could solve a problem. So it's also quite fun to have the students share what they did so we can quickly see the different ways people approached the problem and still it's all correct. So I think it's great for learning about the diversity of the solution space rather than just seeing me present it. And I've learned a lot about how they think mm -hmm. um, because I can see them work on the problems in class. I also think it helps them uh, connect with their peers. So if those students that uh, maybe would have come to class and sat in the back and then gone and struggled through their homework on their own, now they are you know, meeting at least two other people in the classroom every day. And so I'm hoping that that translates into more robust peer connections outside the classroom as well. I haven't looked into whether or not it does, but you know, I'm giving them an opportunity to connect with their peers, and I think that's important. Um, yeah, that's really interesting, especially since we're talking about engineering and computer science classes where there often isn't this, like, you know, discussion that there is in liberal arts classes and ways to interact like that. So I think it's really especially interesting that you're introducing it and providing that opportunity for your students. Well, and I, as somebody that went through computer science, I'll, I'll say, you know, you end up leaving the curriculum and going into work environment where you have to work with teams. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's wonderful that you're getting them into that, te that team mindset early on because they're not going to leave that space. Mm -hmm. um. <laughs> <laughs> right. We try to encourage that throughout, I think, the curriculum. But um, it's, maybe it's more so in the design projects. I would say 100% of the design projects mm -hmm. um, in, in our curricula are team-based. But I don't know how much of, like, focus in the classroom on just working problems as team-based. But I, I imagine that also helps with the office hour traffic because mm -hmm. the students have hopefully study groups that they can work with um, mm -hmm. on their homework and or yeah. just ask questions of somebody um, mm -hmm. who's around. And they've just, they just struggled through it already, right? They've, rather than, again, rather than watching me do an example, which you know, feels effective to you <laughs> because you are actively thinking about how, what, what the steps are and what the process is and what the concepts involved are. To the student, it's a very different experience. And so when they actually, if they watch me do something, if they're actively doing that, they think they understand because I did it correctly, right? <laughs> so they can see all the steps, but that's a di completely different level to sit down and figure out where to start and how to navigate through the steps of the problem. So they've had that opportunity in the classroom to to work through all the different stages and all the different concepts and, and mesh all that together. And so that really, I think, helps them get going on their homework and get going on their projects. Um, and you know, apart from the importance of the discussion, just the opportunity to, you know, actively engage with the material mm -hmm. while they have assistance available and they can get their questions answered is, is fantastic. 
And I think that goes along with the video production. I make very crude videos. It's the same <laughs> level as you would see me do on the board. And I don't go back and edit them. If I screw something up, then I just say, oh, that wasn't right, I'll erase it, and then keep moving forward. But I actually think that might be better for the students to see that it's authentic. It's authentic problem-solving <laughs> and that we're not perfect. And if we, <laughs> if we only do perfect examples then they're getting a model that's not actually yeah. reality. Right, and I think that is the model that most students have, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's also the anxiety of faculty that want to try out the flipped classroom themselves. They feel like they, the production value has to be really high. They feel like they have to go into a studio. Um, you know, we've definitely had some people that have worried about making the mistakes and, and looking a certain way. So I think part of what somebody can take away from that statement is this fact that just jump in, you know, and try it at whatever level. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that held held me personally back for a a long time. This is, I've been teaching 17 years now, and I started out as a very traditional lecture um, instruction. And I was in a community of, of educators where active learning was, was used and was important and valued. So I knew about it, but I didn't, I hadn't seen it myself as a student. I hadn't experienced it. I hadn't been formally taught about it. And so it took me a while to, to get over that barrier of, it doesn't have to be perfect. Yes, I might be uncomfortable the first time I do this, but it'll be fine and it'll be better. And so um, you know, I went through that transition myself, and it's, you know, now what I do is much less refined than what I tried <laughs> to do in the beginning. But there's more of it, and that's better. So, yeah. Is there a tip that you would give um, a professor, like, just starting in this process, whether it be a media tip or a teaching tip or something? Do you have a tip that you would give a professor? I'd say don't worry about going 100%. Um, just maybe put a couple videos together and maybe change those two lectures a little bit and see how it goes. It doesn't have to be all one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit can actually go quite a long ways for the students. And then you can get f- kind of informal feedback as to how the students like it, how, you know, so you know how to change it for the future. So I would say little steps are just fine. Yeah, that's, that's, how, uh, that's what I would have said too is, is – you don't feel like you have to jump in 100% and just flip a whole classroom, right? A whole term. Yeah, that seems like a daunting task. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's no reason to do that. You know, try out, try out making a video. Try out an active learning activity. Just try something and see how it goes because it's a learning process for you as well as it is for the students. And so you're going to be learning what works for you because how a flipped classroom is going to look for you, for you is probably completely different than how it's going to look for me. Even if it's and maybe it's it's not that you ever have a flipped classroom, but you have some supplemental videos. I mean, one thing that Tammy and I have talked about that we both do is sometimes if there's a sticky homework problem or there's a sticky something that happened in lecture where the students are 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 unclear, unsure about a certain topic. Then we add a, a video that is optional for them to watch that gives further information, maybe another example, or just we take that concept and go in more depth than we have the luxury of doing in the classroom because we're time constrained. So it doesn't even have to be that you're you're flipping something, but you're 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 trying out these alternative instruction formats that are available. 
and you see how it goes, you know. And I believe from the presentation there was um, a conversation around feedback, um, using video for feedback as well, or to um, to get, you know, to have a conversation with the students after something's happened. Um, is that something that you're using, or am I forgetting? Um, I think that's what Nikki was talking about. Okay. So if, like, I gave an ex- I think it was an exam, maybe it was a homework this semester that really confused many of the students. So instead of taking time in class to go over that problem, I just made a video about, okay, here's how I would solve the problem. If you had trouble understanding this one, this is something that you could review. Um, So, Yeah, I'd say the same same thing. I've had to, I have an online instructional module that my students work with that's been developed at another university. And sometimes there's a, a discussion board in there where it's not quite a discussion board. There's an opportunity for them to ask questions. I read those questions. And if there's a common one or just a question that I think probably more students had than, than actually posted that question, if I don't have time in the class to address it and I don't think it's critical enough that I need to personally address it, then, well, I guess I am personally addressed it by video, but I don't need to address it face-to-face, then I'll put together a, a little video. And sometimes video lends itself to um, use of uh, visuals that would be more difficult to show um, in the to a large group because they're going to be sitting right in front of their screen. So that's been pretty nice because I can put together some interesting um, animations or, I mean, you don't have to get as, as fancy as animations. A lot of my things are I use the snipping tool and I cut mm-hmm. out a picture and maybe I combine different pictures into yeah. a collage that then I can write on top of. <laughs> so, but it's, you know, it works. So um, in academic technology services, we do have um, Ben Kahn, so K-A-H-N at up.edu mm-hmm. that you can reach out to. He's our academic technology specialist and trainer. And he can, if you're thinking about jumping in and using the flip classroom, definitely reach out to Ben on some of the technology that you could use um, in that. And we don't follow the philosophy of, um, of one platform. Definitely we, in ATS, we really want you to feel comfortable in the technology you're using. So I think it was mentioned touch screens, um, mobile devices, laptops, you know, whatever it is. So there's definitely multiple ways of accomplishing um, the creation part of the flipped media. So I just want to put a plug in there for, for Ben. And just thank you both for for coming today and and talking with us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the UP Tech Talk podcast. Just a reminder that we post a new podcast every Friday morning and you can find us at techtalk.up.edu.